Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad that we're starting off the day together. This is part of the afternoon anyway. I hope uh, so far things have been going well for you, and I hope you've had some time to uh, just prepare your hearts and minds for what God's doing in your life, and just to be aware that He loves you, has a plan for you, and uh, it's all good. So we're going to have a great show. We're going to start off with Rob Bluey. He's going to be joining me. Then Dr. Greg Borgon will be in the studio. We're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 4, and then uh, Gregory Wrightstone is going to come in. He wrote a book called The Inconvenient Truth, and he's going to talk about uh, climate change and everything else. So it's going to be a fascinating show. I'm looking forward to it. As I have my Bible open, I'm, I'm in Proverbs 29. In verse 10, it says, The bloodthirsty hate a person of integrity and seek to kill the upright. 11 says, Fools uh, give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end, I can't think of anyone who is more better at calm than Rob Bluey, executive editor of the Daily Signal. Rob, welcome. Hey, Bill. It's great to be back. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You are very calm. You're a very calming presence. So thank you for doing the show, as always. Absolutely. And a special day, Giving Tuesday. I know that our organization and yours is uh, probably uh, you know, doing our appeals. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's great, Bill, that uh, we're able to share some of the good news. And even despite all of the challenges that we face, I uh, always uh, look forward to doing this show and uh, you starting off with those Bible verses. It's, it's always great to hear. Oh, thanks. So I um, appreciate Daily Signal. I go there often. Uh, let's talk about some of the articles that are up right now on Daily Signal. One, is about uh, more lockdowns is not the answer. That's right. Well, we've been saying from the the very beginning of COVID when the Heritage Foundation stood up the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission that we needed to have targeted and temporary uh, approach to to this virus. And and what that meant was it, it wasn't necessary to have a national lockdown or a national mandate. Those decisions were best made by local governments, in some cases, maybe state governments. But what we're seeing too often is this rush to to basically, uh, you know, <laughs> apply uh, broad lockdown policies to individuals who might not necessarily need to be in that circumstance at the very moment. We should be looking at where we're having the hotspots and where we're having the outbreaks and making decisions based on those zip codes, if we can, uh, try to localize the problem to, uh, to its source. I know that that becomes challenging around the holidays when people are traveling. And we saw the TSA number spike over the Thanksgiving Day weekend. Uh, but I think where it really has its biggest impact is probably our kids and schools. And that's um, that's something that's personally impacted our family. Uh, our school district is still doing all virtual learning. Uh, some of the other school districts in Northern Virginia, though, have just start, have started to go back and send uh, some, some of the kids back into the classroom, those who make that choice. And so I think that, uh, you know, as, as we have more data and as even Dr. Anthony Fauci has said recently, uh, schools need to be making a decision at what's best for the kids. And in some cases, locking everything down might not be the best outcome. It's never been a one-size-fits-all kind of strategy. It's, that has never worked, has it? 
It, it hasn't. I mean, if you go back to the very beginning when we when we had the mid-March Stop the Spread campaign, and mm -hmm. then remember that was extended to April, uh, some of those things definitely, I think, had an impact in terms of uh, lowering the number of cases. There's there's no doubt that if we all lock ourselves in our home and 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 don't go grocery shopping and uh, and don't socialize with others, that probably we're going to do do our our, our uh, efforts to stop it. But I think we've also had some tremendous advances. I mean, we we hear a lot about the vaccines mm -hmm. and uh, the progress we're making there, but even the therapeutics that uh, that people are are getting when they when they have COVID. Uh, we have a, a long time uh, Daily Signal listener who I'm hoping to have on our podcast for next week. And uh, he he came down with COVID. He's from Missouri. He and his wife did. And uh, and the therapeutics that they took really helped them uh, get on the mend rather quickly. Uh, he did have to go to the hospital for treatment. So, I mean, it is serious. I mean, we hear about these cases, even professional athletes who come down with it, Bill. I mean, it is serious. We should take COVID seriously. But I think we also have to be smart about how, how we go about doing things. And that's why we've been saying from the very beginning that, you know, I know people get upset about the masks. Uh, if wearing a mask, uh, you know, puts others at ease and it keeps you safe, I encourage you to do it. Wash your hands frequently. Encourage mm -hmm. your family to do so. Maintain that social distance. If you're in the grocery store or other places, you know, just be smart about those various things that, that cause the, the, the virus to spread. And then hopefully soon here we'll have a vaccine and uh, we'll all be able to to take advantage of that, uh, obviously, in an orderly fashion, as, as I think we're seeing many of our, our political leaders trying to sort out who will get the vaccine first and how it will be administered. Mm -hmm. Rob, not to scare any listeners, but let's talk about the uh, increase in nursing home related cases. Well, it, that's uh, that's certainly true, and uh, as I think we've talked about in the past, I mean, this is something that uh, that, that that I you know take uh, take quite seriously. We have a 99 uh, year old great aunt uh, mm -hmm. who's in a nursing home in upstate New York. We still get uh, to talk to her uh, via via Skype every Saturday morning. It's one nice. of the things that we look forward to, you know, and, nice. and and you know, as somebody who would normally get visits from the from our family a couple of times a week. Um, you know, she's since mid-March has not seen, had any, you know, family in the the home to see her. And so keeping connected through these these virtual visits is kind of one of the best things that we can do. But uh, but I say that because in, in her particular nursing home, I'm very fortunate that they have taken it seriously. Uh, they haven't had uh, any cases, but that is, unfortunately, Bill, is not the situation for, for others. Um, we've seen in some states where where New York, for instance, uh, you know, Governor Cuomo made some early decisions that, that proved fatal for for a great many uh, old, uh, older people who found themselves just very vulnerable to the virus and uh, and unfortunately died as a result of it. And so I think that one of the things that we need to, to be cognizant of is there are individuals who are going to be more susceptible to picking up the virus and probably have a higher uh, mortality rate. And so we just need to be careful, particularly when it comes to, to nursing homes. Uh, the staff and the people who work at these facilities, uh, they need to take extra precautions. Uh, they need to make sure that visitors who are coming in get the proper testing, or in some cases, they shut them down. I know that this particular nursing home I'm talking about, uh, if one of the staff members does have COVID, they immediately go into isolation and they, they you know, kind of close things up and don't have the, uh, uh, the residents go to the, the shared dining hall that might eat in their room. So I think that in many cases, they've learned some important lessons along the way. Uh, but, uh, but unfortunately, you know, there is, um, there, there's still a ways to go before I think 
all of those individuals have received the vaccine. And this is where, you know, you have this debate playing out right now, Bill, who gets the vaccine first? Is it the elderly or is it the healthcare workers? And, you know, really, I, I hope that we can we can accommodate everybody and uh, in a relatively quickly, uh, an orderly way, because I think that they're all probably in a situation where they need to be protected. Yeah. And everybody's learning at the same time. I mean, this, uh, this virus is unlike anything we've dealt with. And and even the testing, which I know is there's still lots of people that want to go get tests and the lines for those tests are still pretty long. Uh, I, I heard that Elon Musk uh, had four tests in one day. Uh, twice it turned up positive, twice negative. That's right. Yeah, you're absolutely correct about that. I mean, it is uh, <laughs> the, the, these quick tests. I, uh, you know, a few weeks back when I had the opportunity to travel with Vice President Pence on Air Force Two, I had one of those those rapid tests where they can give you the results in 15 minutes. And in, of course, you know, if you're in the White House complex, you have access to to those things. I now hear that uh, members of Congress will be doing that as they uh, they come back to Washington. But but for very many people, they have uh, they have a, a long wait uh, after they get the test done. And uh, for many people over the Thanksgiving holiday, even if they wanted to cross state borders, they needed to get a test and, uh, you know, do the proper paperwork to go visit family and friends. So it is um, it is still an issue. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we have said that one of the most important things that, that we can do, uh, that Washington can do, policymakers and states can do, is really put an emphasis on, on testing. I think that's going to be one of the things that will restore some of the confidence uh, in people going back to the office, uh, getting um, getting back to as normal of a flow as we can we can possibly do. I know that Congress is debating a, a big, uh, n- another stimulus package on coronavirus. I think one of the things that they should consider in this is not just throwing more money at the problem, but looking at the policy changes that we can make uh, to help sh- ensure that people uh, feel safe. Yeah, Rob, we're going to have to back up a little bit because you, you said Vice President Mike Pence, he flew on Air Force Two. So here I am, probably your best friend in the world, and I'm just hearing about this now. Oh, <laughs> I thought we talked about this back in August. Yeah, so well, you, we I, might uh, ha- we might have, but I, I guess I I I was just once again surprised. Pretty cool to be on Air Force Two. It, it was, and you know, you know, Bill, it was interesting because this is one of those circumstances where um, uh, the Daily Signal has it, Fred Lucas, who's our White House correspondent, is is often in the White House complex, and mm-hmm. at least was a lot before COVID. And so he occasionally would get asked to do uh, pool, the pool report. So the pool report is when, when they can only send one reporter and they do a pool report for everybody else. Basically, they tell all the other reporters in the, in the White House circuit what's going on, what the vice president said, what the president said. You know, it's it's pretty mundane things for your listeners. <laughs> yeah. but, but what happened was they couldn't find anybody to accompany the vice president. None of the regular White House reporters wanted to go. So they reached out to me and and, and they said, would you, would you be willing to, to be the pool reporter for the day? And I said, of course, this is a once in a lifetime experience. And so uh, I got to travel with uh, the vice president to the Tampa area. And it was uh, it was quite unique and, and a special moment. Uh, he was actually uh, going there for several uh, pro-life events. So um, he, he ended up making a stop at a church, uh, which was which was a nice uh, nice place to to have a, a conversation with some of the the people who who came out to to hear his talk. Uh, he went to a um, uh, you know uh, a pregnancy crisis center, mm. uh, Bill, and you know that was a really moving experience to talk to a mother who. Um, 
you know, who really was turning to them for help. So, you know, that's one of the things that I, I, I really um, appreciate about the vice president and his passion for some of these issues that, that are, are near and dear to his heart, as, as he often describes himself. Uh, he's a Christian, a conservative and a Republican in that order. And that's been true for Mike Pence through, throughout his uh, his life. And it's uh, still true today. You kind of uh, what you see is what you get with Mike Pence. It's pretty, pretty sweet deal. It certainly is, yeah, and uh, and he's somebody who, obviously, going back to the coronavirus, you know, has been at the at this from from the very beginning, and uh, and you know, uh, big news last night that Scott that Scott Atlas has decided to resign from the uh, the president's uh, coronavirus commission. Uh, I'm not probably surprising given that things will will very likely be changing with uh, with who's in the mix there. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, you you, you think back uh, to to where we are, where where we were. And where we are today, and and you made a comment there. We have learned so much, and we're going to continue to learn a lot more about this. And I think that that calls for for Americans to be patient and uh, and to do their best um, <laughs> with the information we have at the moment. And and certainly that's a situation that is 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 stressful because uh, we want to provide the best for our, our family. And sometimes we might not have all the answers right now, but uh, that's why I think it's always important to be vigilant and and be careful. Yeah. And because every time you hear uh, an experience that sounded like it was pretty easy, there is also an experience that was incredibly difficult or might have ended in something even worse. So it's real hard to talk about it. Uh, I had a friend that just went through it. He said I had really one day of discomfort. He did did test positive. He had a spiky fever. The next day he said he felt fine, and he's been fine ever since. So, you know, for, for every story you hear like that, you hear somebody else that's gone into the hospital and been on a ventilator and maybe not even survived. So it's hard to talk about. It, it certainly is, Bill. And, and you know, if, for as, as successful as uh, my my one 99-year-old great aunt uh, is uh, right now in, in her nursing home, I had another one, a 92-year-old great aunt who, who passed away from COVID, you know, also in upstate New York. So, I mean, we, we have seen uh, the virus hit people, um, you know, in, in ways that I think has been surprising, including young people who, who younger people who have lost their lives. Fortunately, it doesn't seem to have as big of an impact on children or, or, or young adults. Uh, they get it and they suffer with the, with the, with some of the uh, ramifications of it. But, um, but yes, uh, it's something that, that can, can strike all of us. And that's one of the reasons why I'm going to be going into the office in Washington tomorrow. And one of the things that we're going to do is, uh, is one of those tests just to be safe. Yeah. Um, we're doing some, some video recording. So if you have access to it and, uh, and you can, I think it's always, it's always just important to, to take those steps. Yeah. Let me take a break, Rob. When I come back, I want to ask you, uh, what is the state of our U.S. military uh, Rob Louie is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can head over to dailysignal.com. Again, that's dailysignal.com. Be right back. We start Tuesdays off with Rob Bluey, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Head over to dailysignal.com, dailysignal.com. Uh, Rachel Del Judas did a nice piece on uh, the marginal state of the U.S. military. R- Rob, I'd love for you to say more about that. That's right. Well, one of the unique things that you'll only get from an organization like the Heritage Foundation is uh, is an annual assessment of our U.S. military. It's called the Index of U.S. Military Strength. And each year we take a look at uh, the different branches of the military and the different capabilities that it ha- that they have. 
And uh, and again, this year, unfortunately, uh, they only received a marginal rating in the new report. And, uh, you know, this is a concern in particular because we see rising threats from places like Russia and China and, uh, and, and others, uh, particularly in the cyber domain, who are challenging uh, the United States in ways that uh, we've never been challenged before. Uh, Dakota Wood, who's the, the editor of the, the book, um, really does an exhaustive analysis uh, each year that I think really helps uh, not only the Pentagon understand where it might be falling short and where it needs to improve, but also gives uh, those in the think tank community and other policymakers an opportunity to assess kind of independently uh, as a report card would, you know, uh, for, a, for a student, how they're doing. And so, um, you know, as you look at this year, it's, um, it's not as good as, as it has been. There were some areas that we've seen improvement. Um, and I think that in, in, in some cases, uh, Bill, you know, it's, it's an area where we need to be concerned because as our, as our country faces the different threats from abroad, it's different uh, today than it was in years past. And so our military needs to modernize, our readiness capabilities need to increase. And so those are all things that go into to this report. And, and fortunately, we, we've, been, we've been, you know, blessed over the last four years to have a uh, commander-in-chief who has really been dedicated uh, to, to restoring some of that uh, military capability, to modernizing uh, the military in ways that uh, that it hadn't been moving as quickly to do in the past. And so we can only hope that that's going to continue in the future. And I think that's a big area where Congress needs to hold uh, those leaders accountable. I mean, that's really what their, their job is, to provide that oversight. Mm-hmm. Rob, you ready uh, in the show for a nice softball question? Sure, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, did Andrew, Governor Andrew, Andrew Cuomo uh, overstep his authority in the Constitution well, <laughs> when he decided that, you know, due to COVID-19, you can only have so many people worshiping? I know. And we just talked about this, this topic last week when we were talking about uh, the Reverend Sammy Rodriguez yes. and his, his church in California. So, uh, well, you don't have to take my word for this because <laughs> the United States Supreme Court ruled on yes, this. Yes, they did. And, uh, in a in a in a ruling that brought together uh, the five conservative justice, John Roberts, the chief justice, uh, sided with the liberals. They ruled five to four that uh, that yes, uh, Governor Cuomo did overstep his bounds, and uh, and this is an issue that uh, we've seen play out uh, not just in New York but in other states as well, where the governor. Uh, Basically, the Supreme Court said arbitrarily declared that uh, worship services must be limited, and that is not something that uh, that the court said he has the ability to do. So, this excellent piece by by Cal Thomas goes through the ruling and why, uh, under the the First Amendment and why under our U.S. Constitution, uh, the government can't take away uh, you know this opportunity. Uh, for people to gather and worship, and for this to happen right at a time like Thanksgiving, when uh, when of course you know we had the pilgrims coming together, uh, exactly for, for <laughs> in some cases similar reasons, escaping mm-hmm. you know their their inability to to worship uh, uh, freely, um, you know I think that it was it was symbolic in in that sense. So. I, I hope that our government leaders will understand that, uh, as, uh, as Reverend Rodriguez told me, uh, you know, these are essential services. And I know I, I personally feel that way, and I'm sure a great many of your listeners oh, do as well. And, and I think we also look at the, the hypocrisy or what maybe be a double standard that uh, the bars and liquor stores can stay open, but churches can't. Yeah. And I just I don't understand that. I mean, I heard there was, you know, <laughs> some churches are going to great lengths, uh, you know, to, to 
to, to you know uh, accommodate um, you know individuals uh, whether they hold their services outdoor in literally freezing temperatures. Bill. Right. I mean, it is just you know it is amazing what, uh, what what some congregations have decided to do so they can continue worshiping under these standards. And I think that uh, you know I, I applaud them for doing that. I wish that they didn't have to jump through all these hurdles though to do it. Yeah, of course. Uh- we are uh, seeing some incredible persecution that's going on in uh, of Christians in Africa. A great piece at DailySignal.com uh, by Virginia Allen. I'd love you to talk about that, Rob. Yeah, well, Virginia has some firsthand experience, um, and and this is uh, she's she's somebody who pays close attention uh, to these issues. So uh, what we've seen is that uh, some of the radical Muslims there are persecuting Christians, uh, particularly in Nigeria, where this is this is playing out. So we interviewed um, both a reverend and a rabbi on on the show. Uh, the Daily Signal podcast, that is, um, who are human rights advocates and have a new book out called The Next Jihad, uh, Stop the Christian Genocide in Africa. It's really fascinating um, and and informational to to really understand. I think so often, Bill, we're we're focused on what happens in front of us and our communities, and rightly so. I mean, there's so much that impact our lives directly uh, that we can sometimes forget about the circumstances of those uh, in other countries. And so I think this was a really good eye-opener for me as to what was really going on and uh, and the, the tragic situation there. I think that it's important for all of us to remember that, um, you know, there are things that we can do to help raise awareness about this and, and to hold those accountable um, who, who may be, uh, you know, perpetrating uh, these, these kinds of acts on, on other humans. So uh, human rights is a big issue that we follow at The Daily Signal, and this is just one of the latest examples of, of us trying to shine the spotlight on it. Mm-hmm. And we just left November, but wasn't November National Adoption Month? Yes, uh, certainly is. We had a we had a great event on this uh, yesterday at the Heritage Foundation. It's a it's certainly an issue that uh, that we've uh, we followed closely. One of my colleagues, uh, Eleanor Cranzi, uh, Krasny, has a great piece at the Daily Signal. Um, what it means to her as an adoptee, and she talks about her own personal experience. Uh, we've done uh, stories in the past, videos. I think it, uh, you know adoption means so much uh, to those individuals who have who have gone through that process and uh, and are, are very fortunate uh, that they've had loving and caring parents uh, look after them. And uh, and Eleanor is certainly just one example of that. So I think when people are struggling and they sometimes um, you know find themselves in a situation and, and they don't know where to turn. Uh, you know, there are great resources out there that uh, that help individuals, help parents, help uh, help mothers make that decision. And so um, I'd encourage your your listeners to check out her personal story. It is very touching and moving. Yeah, it is touching. Uh, as are as are so many, uh, Bill, and not just not just hers, but uh, but many of the stories that we've heard over the course of the past month are. And I think that, you know, it's it's the it's good. We started the show talking about good news. I think that in a, in a world that we live in today, when it's so easy to be depressed about uh, about so many things, uh, <laughs> whether it be politics or whether it be COVID or, or other things. Uh, you know, so many Americans are still struggling with employment and the impact that the virus has had on their lives. Um, we, you know, we need to look at the good things uh, that, that are happening in this world as well. And Rob, thank you always for uh, reporting these news stories with such a uplifting spirit. I mean, there's, uh, I know I always get listeners commenting on, on how joyful you are and and how calm you are and just how well-measured you are. It's just a joy having you on the program. 
Well, Bill, it's so important for us to tell these personal stories and connect these policy issues with uh, with mm-hmm. real lives. So, I mean, that's what we founded The Daily Signal to do. Yep. And so I always encourage your listeners, if they have a story to share, to send it to you or pass it along <laughs> to us. We'd be glad to tell it. Thank you so much, Rob. Have a great week. Thank you. You bet. Rob Blue, he's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. After a short break, we'll be back with Dr. Greg Borgon. We're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 4. Can't wait. When I think of some of the prison epistles that Paul wrote, I would say Ephesians 4, and I know my guest will concur, may be one of the most important chapters of the uh, prison uh, letters. So we're going to talk about it today with Dr. Greg Borgon, who is, of course, the founder and president of heartofawarrior.org. We can uh, can always head over there to learn more about Greg, his writing and his teaching and his uh, incredible work he does mentoring. And we're going to talk today about Ephesians chapter 4. I'm so excited. Greg, welcome back. Well, it's good to be back. I know there's a lot of material, so let's get started. You bet. Well, let's just give a little bit of a background for our listeners on Ephesians. First of all, we know from Ephesians 1.1 that Paul was the author of the book and that the letter was written sometime between 60 to 63 AD in Rome during his second imprisonment. And uh, not long after he wrote this book, of course, he was martyred, uh, either at the command of Nero or one of his subordinates, sometime between 64 to 67 A.D. Um, but in Ephesians, just like his letter in Second Timothy, which is one of his last letters, he, he's identifying some very important things that we need to know as Christ followers. In particular, he's, of course, addressing the Christians at, at Ephesus. So Paul intended that all who really long for Christ-like maturity would receive this particular letter. Enclosed within the book of Ephesians is the discipline needed to develop into true true, uh, children of God. And that that message applies to us today. Perhaps more than any other book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians emphasizes the connection between sound doctrine and right practices. Often many of Paul's letters uh, his epistles are broken up into those two separate areas. First of all, he gives doctrine, and then he gives practice. So this doesn't change here in the book of Ephesians. As a matter of fact, you can essentially break it out into those two parts. The first part of Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 deal with the position of the Christian and the privileges of the Christian. It primarily has to do with our beliefs. The last three chapters of uh, the book of Ephesians uh, has to deal with the practice of the Christian and the responsibilities of the Christian. It primarily, again, has to do with behavior. So the first three has to do with belief. The last three has to do with behavior. Now we're going to focus our attention on Ephesians 4. And you mentioned at the beginning of the telecast here that Ephesians 4, even in my estimation, is probably one of the most significant, important chapters of Paul's epistles letters because it's just crammed full of wonderful guidance and clarity about a number of different things that we face today uh, as Christians. So let's dig right into it. Verses 1 through 7, and hopefully uh, the listeners will have their Bibles open because we'll be going through just this chapter. Verses 1 through 7, these verses address the unity of the body of Christ, the church. He says, I therefore, 
a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So these are the attitudes and actions that really foster unity within the body. And you can see that throughout the the passage, especially the last few verses of that particular passage. Now, verses 8 through 10, these verses addressed his ascension and his descension. I read, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended in the lower parts of the earth? He who has descended is the one who has ascended for far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, this passage speaks, of course, of Christ's ascension, but it also talks about his descension into the lower parts of the earth. And so there have been some uh, discussion as to what that really means. Does it mean that he descended into hell, as it refers to in Philippians chapter 2, or did he descend to, um, to the grave? Um, I think what the passage is really saying, he, the lower parts is the earth, that he descended to the earth and he became man, God and man to us. So in any case, this passage speaks of his ascension. He ascended into heaven and he descended to the earth. Ephesians 4, nine shows us that uh, the risen, ascended Jesus is qualified to bestow spiritual gifts on his church because he came to this earth willing to go to the cross. So it's kind of an introduction to really what follows. Now, verses 11 through 16 are probably what most Christians are most familiar with in chapter 4. These verses address the purpose of the church. And I'll read again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, all roles that have to do actually with the communication of the gospel, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, uh, the means to, I believe, a greater objective, mm -hmm. until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That, to me, that passage is saying is the great objective. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the ways carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. That's the, really the importance of becoming like Christ, of Christ-likeness. Rather, he says, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Christ-likeness stressed again. In case we missed the point in verse 13, Paul reiterates it again in verse 15. For, uh, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with, uh, with which is, uh, it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love, how the church really reaches spiritual maturity. So this passage, 11 through 16, is pregnant again with important information for the church, us being the church, not mm -hmm. talking about a localized manifestation of right. it, talking about followers of Christ. Now, verse 12 is often identified as the purpose of the church. You've probably heard a number of sermons. The purpose of the church is, of course, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. But when this is read in context, you come to realize, no, 
That's the means to a greater purpose, because what follows in verse 13 is Paul clearly stating that the ultimate purpose of the church is producing Christ-likeness in believers. So he wants maturity in believers. Absolutely right. He wants to go ahead and show us the road, he shows us the path to maturity. And there's a reason he wants to do that. So we see the Christ-likeness identified in verses 13, 15, and 16. Now, verse 14 tells us why producing Christ-likeness is so important. It's really a defense against the influence of the world on our lives. Mm. So you're not swayed by the world. That's right. So mm-hmm. you're not carried away, it says, by every wind of doctrine, that you're tossed to and fro, that you move from, that you're a weather vane Christian, that you move towards the greatest strength of wind that's blowing in your direction. Mm-hmm. And so you're unstable as a follower of Christ. And of course, the enemy wants instability in the follower of Christ. You know, Greg, I'm thinking of uh, Colossians 2.8 right now, too, that's, you know, it says, beware lest anyone spoil you through uh, philosophies and vain deceit. Yeah, exactly. Traditions of men uh, versus Christ. And I didn't quote that correctly, but it's how, how are you convinced of the, how are you swayed? You are swayed if you're not mature in your faith. If you are vulnerable, you're going to be easily swayed. If you are not anchored in something, every storm in life is going to toss you about. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose your direction. You're going to cower in fear. And what we're talking about here is an anchor that holds us in place. The storms are going to come, yeah, not but the anchor if, holds us in place. So in summary, these verses 11 through 16, the primary purpose of the church is to produce Christ-likeness in believers so that they are not swayed by the world and its worldly philosophies and practices. The means to reach Christ-likeness in building spiritual maturity is to equip the believers for the work of facilitating God's redemptive purposes in a fallen world. And the scripture, actually, this passage, actually, the work of the ministry, that is the work of the ministry. Mm-hmm. As you've heard me say on your show before, some for some unfathomable reason, infinite God has chosen us as finite creatures to facilitate his redemptive purposes in a fallen world. Go figure, because let's, if we we're in the seat of decision, we wouldn't have chose us. Yeah, let's get to work, huh? Yeah, that's right. right. All right, let's move to verses 17 through 19. Really an intriguing passage here. These verses address the road to spiritual unraveling and gradual degeneration. Those are scary words, gradual degeneration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Verse 17, Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now he's talking to Christians. Mm -hmm. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of immaturity with a continual lust for more. Wow. Powerful passage. Oh, is that ever. Now, it's possible, Bill, for Christians to once again embrace the lives we've lived prior to coming to Christ. Our pre-Christian habits and attitudes once again become the norm for our behavior, the downwards. And that's why Christ-likeness and growing in spiritual maturity is so important. Otherwise, we'll be susceptible to that road to degeneration, that downward spiral. So I think this downward spiral in this passage really addresses eight steps. Um, Careful examination of the passage lays out the chronological 
order of the degeneration. Well, let's, let's get to them. All right, step number one, hardening. You find that in verse 18. Now, the steps I'm going to give you are not in the order that they are in the passage, because if you read the passage carefully, this is actually the order. So number one, the first thing that starts to happen is called a hardening. Our hearts become hardened or calloused over time through a gradual process of stubborn sin in opposition to what's best for us. We begin to embrace attitudes and practices that were characteristic of our lives before we came to Christ. Disobedience of God's word leads to the weakening of our faith. And I might also add, Greg, that then you will be more likely swayed by the world and its worldly philosophies. Exactly Mm -hmm. right, Bill. Exactly right. A callous will build up around our conscience, and we begin to lose our sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And often, our fellow Christians can observe this in us before we even notice it's happening. They sense it in us. The second step that, that happens, and again, this is it doesn't happen one step and then you jump to the second step. It's a gradual process. You'll move into the second step, which is ignorance. It's also found in verse 18. Our perceptions of the worldview of a, or, or worldview lack a sense of reality or a basis of fact and gradually cease to reflect a biblical perspective. We, become, we start to become ignorant of the truth. We once found absolute. Oh, that's tragic. Yeah. So all of a sudden what we thought we knew... We're now questioning what we thought we knew. Mm -hmm. The third step is darkness, also found in verse 18. Our understanding becomes obscured and lacks clarity or accuracy. Truth becomes gray rather than black and white. What we once espoused unequivocally now becomes open to question. So we start to even question what we believed. So we're on this downward spiral. Step four, alienation. We develop a dislike or aversion for the Christian lifestyle. The place where we went for fellowship and community now becomes a constant reminder of how far we've slid. It makes us feel terribly uncomfortable. So what happens then, we progressively become separated from the life of God and begin to lose our true identity in Christ. We stop reading the scripture. We feel that our prayers are hollow. We don't want to be around other Christians because they're going to remind us how far we slid, and we certainly don't want to be into a body of believers for worship. So that's step four. Step five, or excuse me, step of, uh, yeah, alienation, right. Step five is insensitivity. We find that um, we do not feel as guilty about our sin and behavior as we once did. Isn't that scary? Mm-hmm. We become callous or insensitive to our sinful behavior. So when it says in the beginning of the passage, do not live any longer like the Gentiles, it's simply referring to uh, a way in which we used to live before we came to Christ. So we start to regress back to that lifestyle. So we have this insensitivity and this alienation. Step number six. We, uh, which is surrender. We give in to temptation in our areas of vulnerability and weakness. Obedience will always produce strength, but disobedience will always produce weakness. So and then we move to step seven, which is experimentation. We try other forms of sin and abandon ourselves to them. We give in to sensuality, the lure of what our senses bring to us, what we can hear, what we can see, and what we can touch. And the final step, is 
satiation, which means we become satiated looking for greater thrills, lusting for things that are impure, and physically and spiritually destructive to our body and our spirit. That's a terrible picture. Wow. And that's all in verses 17 to 19 of Ephesians chapter 4. We do need to take a little break. Sure. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're talking about Ephesians chapter 4. Get your Bibles open. We'll be right back. the show. Dr. Greg Morgan is my guest. We're talking about Ephesians chapter 4. It's an awesome study. Greg, thank you for doing this. Wow. We went through some pretty awesome steps. Uh, I shouldn't say awesome. They're, they're very clear. As scary to, steps. Scary steps, yeah, as yeah. to what can cause a, a, a degeneration in a person's spiritual life. So maybe we can uh, move on to uh, spiritual health and regeneration. Yeah. Well, let me, let me just capsulize what we've just been over very quickly. This downward path leads to carnality or our carnal nature, the desires of the flesh. The carnality often leads to preoccupation with sexual desires or sinful passions and appetites. And as we were talking off air, that process, this, these eight steps, it can be stopped at any time, either by a, by a friend who intercedes or does an intervention or the Holy Spirit who prompts us and gives us clarity about how far we've slidden. I mean, my wife used to say, um, unless you first front slid, you, you can't backslide. <laughs> so, you know, it's, we may have front slid for a while, but now we're backsliding. But it takes somebody coming alongside of us who has the courage to tell us. And it, the Holy Spirit will prompt us that what they're telling us is truth. And so we can stop this at any time. All right, let's move on, as, as you suggested, to verses 20 through 24. These verses address the road to spiritual health and regeneration, where these previous verses were, these, uh, were, were the uh, degradation or the uh, degeneration. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ, Paul says. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus which belongs to your former manner of life. Um, it says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now, these interesting phrases, these bookend phrases, put off your old self, Put on your new self. In the Greek, they're one-time events. Mm -hmm. They happen at the moment of conversion. And so the Christian might ask, well, what am I struggling with now? Well, the carnal nature of, of what you had, the flesh, the Bible calls it, the preconceived uh, habitual patterns that, that you built up before you came to Christ follow you into your relationship, but you're no longer under bondage to them, although the enemy wants you to believe they are. So what you struggle with is the flesh. So there's this putting off of the old self and putting on of the new self. So the road to spiritual health and regeneration begins with the acknowledgement of our condition, a confession of our sin, and a commitment to repentance. That is a turning away from those things that lead us astray. Now, the Spirit will convict us, but he can't force us to turn. That's a volitional act of will. That's a response to the leading of the Spirit. 
So we are to put off the old self, again, a one-time event, and put on the new self, a one-time event, aorist tense. The old self represents our formal way of, of living, our sinful nature, and the new self represents the way of the Lord based on obedience to him and our beliefs and practices. So the in-between part of those two bookends is this amazing phrase called the renewing of your mind. It says, we are to renew our minds, a continual activity in the Greek tense, throughout one's life, which requires a change of attitude, replacing our core beliefs with the truth of God's word, which in turn will establish a godly value system. Doing so will present a positive trajectory for our lives, a pattern that will lead to Christ-likeness in all we think, say, and do. So our attitude about life will control our motives, and our controlled motives will produce godly behavior. Mm-hmm. So if you want change in this behavior that your friends have noticed in their downward spiral uh, degeneration, then you need to rethink and recalibrate what the Bible calls the heart, your central beliefs, your core values, your worldview, and your motives, mm-hmm. because they are the seat of your behavior. That's what will change your behavior when you tune your heart to the heart of God. How about I just uh, jump on these verses 25 to 32. Yep. Um, these verses will identify the, the practical habits, right, for the renewing of our mind and, and our heart. Okay. Uh, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Yeah. You know, there's a powerful word in there that just uh, going one off for a second, and it talks about being sealed. So that's eternal security. The only one that could break that seal is God, mm-hmm. and he won't go back on his word. Right. We can't break that seal. It says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, that we have a guarantee of our salvation. We've been given the seed. Okay, what are some of the highlights of those verses? All right, first of all, keep in mind that we're talking about renewing your mind. If you want to know uh, how to renew your mind, um, then what Paul does in verses 25 through 32 is outline several things that we can do. So, first of all, speak the truth about yourselves and others. We see that in verse 25. Secondly, control your anger. We see that in verse 26. Thirdly, don't become entrapped by the evil one. We see that in verse 27. Put in an honest day's work. Don't get your identity by what you do. Get your identity by who you are. We see that in verse 28. Speak to uplift, not to tear down. We're hearing a lot of tearing down today in every venue. But for the follower of Christ, renewing of your mind means to simply speak to uplift, not to tear down. Verse 29. Don't play to the crowd, live for the Lord. Verse 30, live your life for an audience of one, in other words. Number seven, release your bitterness. Do not hold a grudge. 
verse 31. Don't harbor ill will. Forgive those who have offended you. And as we've talked about before, forgiveness is choosing not to seek revenge. Mm. And that's what actually verse 32 addresses. Choose not to take revenge. I'd, I'd suggest, Bill, two other more, uh, two more practical habits for daily renewal. Number nine, seek out personal mentors. Hebrews thirteen seven. remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Find somebody to build into your life. And finally, number 10, keep a journal, a remembrance, recording God's activity in your life. And we read that all the way through Psalms. I'll just give a couple. Psalm 63, 6, on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Psalm 77, 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. And it goes on that way, Bill. Mm-hmm. So it starts off really dire when we take a look at verses um, verses pre, uh, 17 through 19, but then it gives us some hope by giving us ideas of how to renew our mind and to remember that we put off the old nature and put on the new nature. It's such a powerful chapter. Thank you for walking us through verse by verse. It's been a great study. I'm going to go through this time and time again. This is so good. And some of these steps that we can see in a downward uh, spiral of people starting to drift from the Lord it's really helpful for us to be aware of what's going on in our own lives and in the lives of the people we Absolutely, love, that we Bill. can maybe step in and, and gently and lovingly say, you might be finding yourself headed towards darkness or being in ignorance or starting to be insensitive. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Thank you so much, Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. Go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg. We're going to take a little break. In hour two, we've got Gregory Wrightstone for the whole hour. If you've got questions about climate change uh, or what's going on, we're We're going to take your your questions. You can send them over right now, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.